Hi everybody and welcome back on the Blockworks Macro YouTube channel. This is Alf speaking and this week as well we're going to go through my latest free article of my newsletter, The Macro Compass. The article of the week is called The Moment of Truth for Markets. I think central bankers are actually bringing the heat to the kitchen. So I'm going to try to answer the question whether markets can stand the heat or not. I think global markets are at an important crossroads right now. Central bankers are showing a strong commitment to fight inflation. Powell's Jackson Hole speech has been now fully digested by bond markets, but also in Europe we had an upside surprise in core inflation that has sparked a debate whether the ECB should hike by 75 basis points next week. I think they will. And it has also inverted European yield curves for the first time since 2008. On top of it, we have geopolitical developments which are very interesting. China has announced a lockdown of Chengdu, which is a 21 million people city, which will further pressure supply chains and hit global demand. So the heat in the kitchen is increasing. And are we going to find out whether markets can stand it or not? By first looking and having a deep dive into European and US fixed income markets and also summarizing the implications of um, these developments for the bond market and the stock market and other asset classes. Now, the first thing I want to come across with is that understanding what the bond market is pricing across its many dimensions is not useful because it's going to tell us what's going to happen. The predictive abilities of the bond market aren't great. For instance, one year ago, fixed income markets were expecting the Fed to hike by 25 basis points in 2022. Yeah, only 25 basis points. But we are eight months in 2022 and the Fed has already delivered 225 basis points worth of hikes and another 100 basis point plus are highly likely. So it's not the predictive abilities of the bond market that matter, but understanding what's being priced across its many dimensions is very important because the bond market is the most liquid and biggest building block of the global markets pyramid out there. And Fully grasping its multidimensional signals is important to understand where the consensus lies because portfolio returns are not about our absolute views, but how they differ compared to market implied consensus. So let's try to understand what the bond market is pricing in for the US and Europe. How is it developing over the last few weeks and then try to actually piece together the, um, the macro puzzle. So let's start from Europe. Will the ECB really dare to hammer inflation down? Now, I often hear that the drivers behind the European and the US inflationary pressures are not exactly the same. And that's correct because a bunch of uh, recent studies show that only 15 to 20% of the pickup in European inflation is due to aggregate demand. All the rest is coming from energy and supply bottlenecks. So should the ECB just follow the hammer it down strategy and aggressively high rates? Well, the key word here is should they. The latest print in the, in the European inflation actually was pretty impressive, not for the inflation per se, but because the momentum of core services CPI, this is the stickiest component of the inflation basket depicted in orange in the chart, is actually the highest level in 25 plus years. So you now see the same developments that you have seen in the US where not only inflation is accelerating, but it's also broadening and moving to the more sticky components of the inflationary basket also being reflected in Europe too. So, so far the drivers of the European inflation have been mostly energy and supply bottlenecks, but now inflation is broadening towards core services. And it's not about what the ECB should do, it's what the, what the ECB has to do at this point. And I think European fixed income markets are now getting the memo that there are no nuances anymore uh, allowed for the ECB, it's the time to act and be 
decisive against inflation. It's also very well reflected by real yields in the Eurozone. So that's the difference between nominal yields and inflation expectations. And you can see in the chart how these real yields in Europe traded in positive levels before the great financial crisis. There was low levels of debt, there were decent demographics, no signs of, of big capital misallocation, but after the great financial crisis and the European debt crisis, basically from 2013 onwards, real yields settled between zero and minus 2%. Now, for the first time in almost a decade, real yields are back in positive territory because the market understands that the ECB has to set tighter monetary policy right now. And that's quite a massive change of scenery for the over-indebted, low-quality balance sheet borrowers that Europe has, which have enjoyed a very friendly inflation-adjusted borrowing cost for years, but now the party is over. And the party is over as well for the economy, says at least the yield curve in Europe. If you look at the slope of the OIS yield curve, that's the overnight index swaps curve, which solely reflects market-implied expectations for what the ECB deposit rate is going to be, Actually, the slope between the 30-year and the 5-year um, of this curve inverted for the first time since 2008. Now, markets are believing that ECB will be determined. They are pricing in a terminal rate of 2% in the ECB deposit rate, something we haven't seen for more than a decade. But markets also expect that this will somehow compound the downside pressure on economic growth. Just think about all the... Uh, the, the, basically the bill that the Europe will have to foot anyway, however the energy situation turns over winter, whether Europe will make it or Europe will end up with zero gas at some point. In any case, the price to be paid by the private sector or by the public sector, if it will decide to subsidize it to a certain extent, is very, very large. On top of it, the market thinks that ECB tightening will compound this pressure and it's inverting yield curves. And finally, a word on Italy when it comes to the Eurozone. The elections are looming and um, the spread between Italian government bonds and German government bonds is widening. But I would like to, to point the attention of the audience to a very niche corner of the fixed income market, which is sending an interesting signal. And that's the CDS spread market, the credit default swaps. I think they are pretty much concerned right now about Italian lira redenomination risks. Now, the chart below shows the difference between the old and the new CDS contract. So the old one is 2003, the new one is 2014. They differ because they both hedge against an Italian government default, but only the new version, the 2014, also protects against redenomination risk. In 2003, there was no material risk that uh, some country of the Eurozone could decide to walk out. But in 2014, after the European debt crisis, a new contract was developed. Now, if you consider the spread between the two contracts, you can basically isolate the redenomination risk or a proxy for a redenomination risk being priced in Italy. And it's now at 85 basis point, which is 70-75% as high as it was during 2018, where a very European unfriendly government emerged in Italy for uh, for a few quarters. And the new government is likely to be a, a right-wing government, which has taken a, a pretty loud anti-European stance, especially from the prime minister, potential prime minister, which should be Giorgia Meloni, the recent softening of her stance is likely to be a temporary political maneuver more than anything else. So the market is pricing in some risk of Italian lira redenomination. Now, let's move to the US and see what's happening over there in the bond market. I think Powell will be pretty pleased with the market behavior. After the Jackson Hole speech, he basically achieved a couple of important things. The first is that US real yields now trade in positive territory across the curve. 
This is something that Fed members have clearly expressed preference for in recent months. They have struggled with, but finally they've made it. And it's important because it means that markets are understanding and are transmitting the tighter Fed stance to the, the real economy borrowers. These guys are getting credit and leverage, but it's not cheap anymore in real terms, regardless of whatever tenor you want to borrow for. So either you can stand the hit in terms of borrowing or you should get out of the kitchen right now. Something else the Federal Reserve is very keen on is conveying the message that the hurdle to cut rates in 2023 is very, very high. Now, here, markets are, um, I think, aligning to a certain extent with the Federal Reserve. If you look at the market implied probability that I calculated that Fed funds by December 2023 will be at or above 4%, we now went all the way up to pricing a 32% chance that that is the case. Now, 32% doesn't make it a base case for markets right now, so markets don't fully buy the story that the Fed will be able to keep rates at 4%, but they are assigning a higher probability to this event to happen. But the most important macro question to answer right now, especially in the bond market, remains this. Let's assume that bond markets are right. So that means that over the next 18 months, what's pricing in forward markets will actually realize, and what's pricing is that the US inflation will come down to 3%, that's in orange in the chart there, and Fed funds will be in the 3.5% area, that's in blue over there. All right, so that means inflation has come down fast and Fed funds are roughly in the 3.5% area, so the market is kind of believing the Fed will actually keep policy tight. My question is, will the Fed be okay with a new regime of inflation in the 3% plus area? And there, I really don't think so. Because the first step to regain credibility as a central banker is to actually achieve your targets, not to move the goalposts to your convenience because you can't get inflation down to 2%. Now, as a summary, before we jump into portfolio implications and implications for the bond market and other markets, I think the European bond market understands that the ECB has no room for nuances anymore. They have to intervene, they have to regain credibility on the price stability mandate. This will increase real yields further in Europe. This tends to widen credit spreads too, much beyond what the over-indebted European borrower sectors can afford, especially as the economy keeps weakening and the energy bill becomes pretty large in percentage of GDP. In the US bond market, I think uh, Powell will be very happy with the reaction post-Jackson Hole. The bond market is now almost fully priced in the Fed's preferred monetary policy transmission mechanism, which is positive real rates across the curve, and also basically no cuts being priced in throughout 2023. From here onwards, the Fed has a very strong influence on the front end of the bond yield market, but the back end of the bond yield market, or the, of the bond market, will depend basically on economic data. Now, if you try to uh, understand what this bond market behavior is trying to convey as market consensus, I think this is the most challenging environment for investors across all asset classes. Why do I say that? It's because forward-looking indicators are sinking, Central banks are forced to aggressively tighten monetary policy stance. There is no room for nuances anymore. They are sending real yields higher to regain credibility on the price stability mandate, but real yields are going up not because economic growth is being re-rated higher, but because monetary policy is becoming tighter on the face of a slowing economic growth. So risk assets are obviously the most exposed in this environment. And I'm gonna show you a chart here that shows that real yields are rapidly increasing in the absence of strong economic growth. That's in orange, where you see real yields in the US 
on the right hand side, they are going up very rapidly. When this happens in the absence of strong economic growth, I think that equity valuations and risk asset valuations should be accordingly downgraded. And in blue, you see the S&P forward earnings yield, which is nothing else than the reverse of uh, forward price, uh, price earnings PE. So when this line goes up, it means that the earnings yield on stocks is getting higher, which means valuations are going lower. And as you can see, there's quite a decent correlation between the two series. And when real yields went up, but valuations didn't um, regrade basically lower, that's because economic growth is very strong. That's not what's happening today. I would also argue that at this point in the macro cycle, the risk premium, which is in white below, should at least expand to levels that we have seen in the 2015-2016 sell-offs and in the Q4-2018 sell-off, while today we are way below these levels. So if I try and make some math on the S&P 500, even if I assume that forward earnings are correct, and I expect them to undershoot analysts' expectations, but let's assume they are correct. If real yields stay where they are, because the Federal Reserve really is keen on keeping monetary policy tight, the S&P should trade at a forward PE of roughly 15 to 16 times. And that means around about 3,700 in the S&P 500. Obviously, this is a base case scenario. The S&P can trade around, earnings can surprise on the upside, but it goes to show that buying the S&P in the rally in July, as I already argued, was actually a bear market trap. Now, the long-term ETF portfolio and the macro-tactical portfolio I have are available on the Macro Compass newsletter. If people want to go and have a look at my ESTA location, uh, my macro theme remains that the first eight months of the year were about short everything and just long dollar cash. The next seven to eight months, the stance might have to change to very short risk assets because there might be more pain coming, still hold a decent amount of dollar cash, start to slowly look at other asset classes like bonds and gold, which are the first to react to slowing economic growth and also slowing inflation at some point. Now, guys, this was it for, uh, for this week's episode of the Macro Compass. As always, feel free to go and visit the newsletter itself. There's much more information, many more charts, and a lot more. It gets out once a week. There are over 90,000 subscribers to the Macro Compass, and it's totally free. So go and have a look at it, themacrocompass.substack.com in case you want to see my portfolio allocations, more charts and more explanations. And thank you again for listening to this episode. See you next week.